Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Lord, I just, I come to you and say thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for um, all that you're doing in our hearts and lives. Lord, we just pray to you this morning that um, you enrich us, you feed us, uh, you provide for us, um, and provide for us wisdom, provide for us knowledge, provide for us discernment, uh, provide for us uh, a lesson this morning that we can take with us today and go forward um, throughout our days. Uh, Lord, I surrender my tongue to you that this be your word and not my own. Um, and so teach us, including myself here this morning in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. All right. So how are we doing? All right. Genesis 18. Let's get into it. Uh, I'm reading out of the New King James as I typically do. Verse one, uh, then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees, or oak trees, depending on your version, uh, of Merah, <clears throat> as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a, to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, uh, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah was, had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within her Self saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, uh, being, also, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
at the appointed time, I will return to you and according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. <clears throat> then the man then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. And the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men returned, <clears throat> turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord and Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? He's, <clears throat> so he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there be 40 found there. So he said, I will not destroy. I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have spoken it upon myself. to. <clears throat> I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, but once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abram, and Abraham returned to his place. The word of the Lord. So get that stretch in real quick, get a sip of coffee, and Let's dive into dissecting Genesis 18 here a little bit. So clearly one of the big things in here, two big things are 
we talk about the promise being reconfirmed to Sarah, and then also this intercession that we actually see with Abraham and the Lord. Um, one of the things that really jumps out at me is, first off, it says, the Lord appeared to him by the, by the trees there. In a lot of theological like overview of Old Testament, this is one of the areas that we can say um, quite possibly that this is Jesus actually in bodily form of some type uh, actually appearing uh, to Abraham here. And he has three others. We, we have no idea who they are. Um, clearly Moses has not been around yet because when you saw others with Jesus in the New Testament, it was Moses and other prophets, but none of them have been around yet. So who these other three men are, are still somewhat of a mystery, but we see that the Lord is appearing to him and he has full recognition of exactly who he is. There's no question about it. And he acts swiftly in giving honor and respect to him immediately one of the things that also his prayer at the very beginning so he lifted his eyes and uh where is it oh lord excuse me so this is in verse three and he said and and said my lord if i have not if i have now found favor in your sight do not pass on by your servant how often are we praying something of that nature for ourselves why do we see it that not only in our prayers that we want God to do great things, but are we also praying that God, will you do them with me? Will you make sure that things are happening and I'm a part of what you're doing, that I can be a part of everything that is going on? Don't pass by me. Let me serve you. Let me be a part of what you're doing. Let me be in your presence. Let me be your servant. Don't pass by me. Are we praying such things in this nature that we're asking the Lord, don't pass by me, use me. Use me. There's a, um, there's a, a story um, where... These, all these kids go and they go to this uh, great theologian's house. And um, I'm really going to shorten this story quite a bit. There's a, a good uh, video on it. They go to this theologian's house and he, he was part of the huge revival in America in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, they uh, see it's John Wesley's house. That's who it is. Um, that theologian, that um, revivalist, that uh, preacher, they go to his house and they see where uh, John Wesley would write in books and study and be in his home. And then they went into his house and uh, up in his bedroom and saw where he slept. And somebody noticed there was these prints on the carpet um, where two worn uh, areas right next to the bed. And it was said that these areas were where John Wesley would be on his knees and on his bed uh, there on the carpet for hours praying for revival, praying that God would move in the hearts and lives of so many people and that he would be used by God. So, so much that the carpet was worn to where it was very noticeable 
years and years later to the point where basically the carpet fibers are gone or withered away and those uh, knee prints were there. And the class then leaves and goes to get on the bus and, and moves on from their field trip. And they notice one person is missing in the bus. And so the everyone is told to stay put on the bus and the uh, leader of the field trip, the uh, uh, one of the teachers or whatever goes back into the house and looking around uh, for the student and they he goes back up into the bedroom and notices a young boy sitting and kneeling at that bed with his knees in those knee prints in the carpet. And he hears him praying and he lets him finish praying. And he says, Lord, would you do it again? Would you bring revival again? And not only would you bring revival again, but would you do it with me? Would you do it with me? And when he finishes prayers, the teacher says, let's go, little Billy Graham. Let's get back on the bus. Why are we not asking God to not only do amazing things, but that we are being used to do amazing things, that we are serving the Lord, that he does amazing things through us. Do not pass by me, Lord. May you see it fit that I be your servant. And just, just that part right there kind of floored me as to, in our prayers, not only are we very vague in a lot of them, and we're saying, Lord, bring revival. And maybe we get a little bit more specific, bring revival here in South Jersey. Still, that is pretty large. But why aren't we saying, Lord, let's bring revival. Let's see your miracle. Let's see your work. But do not pass by me. May I be your servant. May I be a part of your work. Will you use me? And I think just in that alone is something powerful for us to take away today that we say, God, use me. You created me for a purpose. May that purpose be done. So as Abraham goes further in, in being hospitable, then in verse four, let, <clears throat> please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. This act of hospitality, not just here, but the food that he brings with um, getting the fine flour and making cakes and also getting the best of his herd and the calf and his hospitable act of sacrifice to show honor to who has come to his doorstep is so ridiculously symbolic. The amount of seeing the sacrifice being brought to, if you will, Jesus and the three men that are there. The, I see it just alone as wanting to wash the feet. We see this so much in the New Testament where others would wash the feet of Jesus and then even Jesus himself would wash the feet of his disciples. Washing the feet is just such a uh, hospitable and honoring act to be done in the ancient culture there of, because everyone walked everywhere. 
They didn't have gas price issues like we do. They just walked. So their, their gas was food, was rest, was making sure that they were ready for the next journey to physically undergo that journey. That was the uh, maintenance that they had to do was take care of their feet. And so honoring and taking care of the, your neighbor or your uh, guest's feet was very honoring, very hospitable, and a sacrifice of your time and ability. And then also seeing that they would say, rest yourselves under the tree. Often Jesus talked about him being the tree of life. And what does a tree do? One, it, it is life and, and it gives fruit, but it also gives shade. It gives rest. It gives comfort. It restores life, if you will. It restores people in, when they're weary. A lot of times, like in, in the military, if we had a, a heat issue with somebody, one of the first things you wanted to do was to find and seek shade, seek a cooler place so that their body can cool down and rest and restore life, if you will, within them. Of course, bringing water and all of those other things were, were a part of it. But that symbolizing of sit at the tree, refresh yourselves, bring life, just this idea in the symbolism going on here that Abraham probably didn't even know. He's just being a good and faithful servant and being hospitable to who he knows is the Lord that's coming to his doorstep. After he, he brings uh, cakes and brings um, a calf and has it properly prepared for them. Of course, symbols as we get later into uh, Exodus and Leviticus and everything in the offerings uh, that are brought. Cakes are part of that, of, of an offering, a grain offering, and then also an offering of a calf, but not just your bet, your, not just any calf, but your best. The first of that, you want the best given. There's kind of an equal thing here where who is your guest? How, how, how honoring do you need to be for your guest? And here it is the Lord, which is the best. So you bring the best. May our gifts, may our offerings, may all of that equal in heart and in nature to who our God is. If our God is the best, let's bring him the best. Often it's almost dishonoring if you had a high honored guest come to your house and you didn't honor them in the same way. If you didn't provide a equal level of honoring to who that person is in stature, and of course our Lord is the best above everything and all. Shouldn't our offering equal who his stature is? And we see that Abraham just does that out of the goodness of his heart. He has no idea about all of what is to come in the future of Israel that he is the father of. He's just doing this out of the goodness of his heart, out of being as hospitable as he can to properly honor who he recognizes and understands is the Lord. And so that's what we ought to do. 
we ought to make sure that our offering, that our honest giving, our hospitality is of the level that it should be. Definitely for God. Definitely for God. So he gets into a conversation after uh, all of this and they eat and they uh, enjoy his hospitality. And Sarah laughs. Sarah laughs at the idea that he's confirming that you will certainly have a child in due time. This is really close. This is a reconfirming of what we read yesterday in 17, um, in chapter 17, verse 21, where he's saying within a year. So clearly from that time to now is within a three-month span. And this is kind of like the encouragement of to Abraham and Sarah that, hey, you guys need to do what needs to be done to have a kid. Let's go. He's kind of like encouraging the marital relations to happen. He's encouraging that you guys need to get together and have a baby. And I'm sure we've all been there at some point where we've been in a meeting or we've been with some friends or whatever, and you're hearing a story of something and you have like a sarcastic remark or you, you just say something like, ha, whatever. And it's, uh, it's kind of, you know, in play or in laughing uh, to what was said. Um, and you kind of put your foot in your mouth, right? I'm sure we've all said something out of tone or out of character uh, or definitely in the wrong place in the wrong time. And so Sarah does that. I take what she says in a very sarcastic tone where she is saying like, Sarah listening in the tent and verse 11 now Abraham and Sarah were old and will advance in age and Sarah had passed the child uh, childbearing age verse 12 therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying after I have grown old shall I, shall I have pleasure like she's saying like I'm so old well I even enjoy that well I, well I even enjoy being with this old crusty dude too because he's no like he's no spring chicken over here and she's like you know she's just being sarcastic and, and like humorous about this in um but in a way that's disbelief and as much as maybe it's a funny joke the lord recognizes her disbelief that she's basically she's heard the promises but her belief in the promises has faded so much that she just makes a sarcastic remark to it. She succumbed to her current status instead of believing in the promises of the Lord. Have we done that also? Have we been in that place where we look at our earthly circumstance around us, that that's all we see? And even when we've had confirmation of a promise or a blessing to come. We just can't fathom it happening when we look at our circumstance around us. We say it's impossible. There's no, there's no way. It's beyond the time and the season for that to have happened. So I just, I just live in the now. I live in whatever I'm in, and I just, I'm just taking it. I'm accepting of it. 
And yet what you're really doing is accepting the disbelief in God's promise. You're accepting the disbelief of God's faithfulness. Have we done that as well? Have we, in a way, in a humorous way, maybe even laughed or mocked at God and saying, ha, that'll never happen. Look at what's going on in my life. You must be blind. And that's kind of how Sarah is acting here. And it's like, do we not truly believe that our God is all powerful and can do anything and everything at the snap of his fingers and at the will of whatever he has? Do we not have that kind of faith in our Lord that regardless of the circumstances, he is more powerful and more mighty and more faithful than the circumstances we see in our lives? Do we have faith that he can restore marriages? Do we have faith that he can restore people's bodies and healing them? Do we have faith that he can do above and beyond all that we ask or seek? Do we truly have that faith today? Or do we laugh when somebody else says God can be part of whatever it is your trouble is? Do we laugh and say, my husband will never come around, or my wife will never come around, my kids will never come around, look at where life has led my children, look at the situations that are going on, these are impossible circumstances. Do we quit praying because of our disbelief and more belief in the worldly situation? than what God can do. Is our prayers truly believed? Do you believe your own prayers? Do you believe your own prayers? And we see Sarah just so much in this sarcastic tone, in this humorous comment. Jesus sees her heart clear and clear that she is in utter disbelief because of her worldly situation. And he said, why, Sarah, did you laugh? Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is, why did you say that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's a question for all of us today. Do you believe that there is anything too hard for the Lord in your life? And let me encourage you, there isn't. There isn't. There isn't anything too impossible, too hard, too beyond his reach, too beyond saving. There's nothing too big for the Lord. Whatever your situation is today, whatever you're wanting to happen, whatever terrible or hard or difficult situation you're living in or dealing with or having to watch happen around you, God is bigger than all of it. God is better than all of it. And God is more faithful 
than we are. Thank God for his faithfulness. Trust in him. Pray and believe your prayers. Believe your prayers today. Because too often we just say prayers because that's the Christian thing to do. That's the thing that sounds right. That's the thing that may encourage somebody else, but in your heart, you're not believing it. Let's believe our prayers today. Let's believe for healing. Let's believe for restoration. Let's believe for salvation today. And may God do it through us. May we be God's servant. This little interaction here shows us so much of unfortunate, the human condition that sometimes we have to live through. And so moving on, we see that the Lord then uh, is time to depart. And he tells Abraham he's going over to Sodom and looking at what is going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, that it is just, it's, it's a grave, sinful area. And in normal custom at this time, in, uh, in your hosp hospitality, it's normal for the host to kind of basically walk the guest out and actually walk a portion of that with them, maybe half a mile or two with them, keep them company as they start departing as a, a nice way of leaving on good terms, if you will. And so that was a normal custom. And so Abraham is walking with the Lord and the other three and walking towards, and they have this discussion about what is to happen over there. The Lord says that he's going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that because in verse 20, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. He's going to inspect what is coming up to his heart and understanding. Now, of course, God knows everything. This is kind of setting it uh, up Abraham for another test. This is ultimately a test of his heart and to see where he is with understanding what's going on. Now, let's remember back to when Abraham and Lot split, where did Lot go? Where did Lot go? We talked about this a week ago. Lot decided to go towards the beautiful green luscious plains of Jordan which is where Sodom and Gomorrah is. Lot went in that direction to uh, take his part of the family and Lot being Abraham's nephew. Abraham is immediately thinking oh my goodness I have relatives down there. I have family. God don't destroy that place. And instead of being selfish he's really talking about and, and pleading to the heart of God about his, not only his equal justice, but equal fairness to righteousness, that he is just and mercy equally at the same time. We see this intercession going on in this continual, if you will, in a, 
as humbly as he can, trying to petition and intercede to God for those that are righteous in the in these two cities. And he's keep and he's not being general, he's being specific. He's sp making very, very specific prayers, very, very specific requests when it comes to numbers. If I find 50, will you spare it? If I find 45, 40, 30, 20. This intercession is more of a test to Abraham than Abraham thinks he's trying to test God. <laughs> this is a more of a test of Abraham's heart of wanting to perceive and understand the character of God. That God is just, but he's also very merciful. And that in his justice, he does do what is right. And that the just and the guilty do not get the same punishment. That they don't receive the same judgment. That they are judged equally according to what they do. And that the righteous are spared. And of course, we'll get into the full layout later on as we get into the full story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But here as the beginning, we see Abraham interceding for others, interceding. He knows in the back of his mind, his family, but not just them, any that are righteous within such a wicked, wicked city. And so are we interceding, interceding for the righteous? Are we interceding to God, but not just in such general, broad stroke terms, but are we being specific? Are we specifically going really detailed with our prayers that we, that where's our heart lie? And are we going directly towards that when we have prayer with our Lord? God wants to know the specifics of your heart. So may our prayers be specific. May we believe our prayers today. And may we also believe that God can use us. So how are you praying today? How are you praying today? May God use us. May we believe our prayers. And may they be specific and intentional. And that's our encouragement today and how we pray to our Lord. So I pray for all of you today. I pray that all of us are used by God, are directed towards him, and that we believe that he is bigger than all of our struggles and all of our issues today. I'm believing that for you, and I pray that you do too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for just, just the, the discernment and the realization of, do we believe what we're praying? Do we believe what we're actually praying to you about? Or are we just doing the Christian tradition? May that not be a tradition, but may it actually be something that we truly believe, Lord. That we're believing the prayers today, that whatever prayers people have today, 
whatever the specifics are, whether it's in a, in a marriage or in a child or in a relationship or in somebody else's lives today, that they be specific and pray to you, that specifically they're asking for you to intercede, for you to come in, to, for you to be a part of whatever the situation is and to restore and to heal, to guide and correct, Lord. But most of all, may we be your servants today. May you use us, Lord. Do not pass by us. May you seek and see favor on us. May we be your servants for your will today and moving forward. Lord, I'm your servant. May I serve you today. Show me how I can serve your will. Lord, I pray a blessing over everybody on this call and everybody listening later on. I pray a blessing over their family. I pray that you just be in everybody's life and continue to guide, correct, and give wisdom and understanding and discernment in your will. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.